right, Guy, welcome to the metagame. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So you're probably best known for developing this conversational modality called circling. And I thought a good place to start would just be to ask you, what is circling and how did it come to be? Yeah. Well, it's funny. I always say this, right? And I, I want to just check to see if it's really still true <laughs> because I always, it always seems to be true. But it, circling is something in its nature that, that seems to be always revealing itself. Mm. And in that sense, it's really difficult to define. And I think a lot of people who do circling um, have that experience of they get exactly what it is, but they have a hard time putting into words. Um, and there's something about that difficult time putting into words that I think is revealing of what it is. Um, but I would say the best I've been able to come up with, and this has evolved, right? This really has evolved, is because I think I think circling is it, it, is a deep expression of the time that we're in. Um, and I think what it is is it's it's essentially it's a making the fundamental the fundamentals of intimacy between the basic I thou unit of relation, if you will, mm. and making it a yoga, making it a conscious, deliberate practice. So if you can imagine, I, I sometimes think about it, like if you took all of the profound, life-changing conversations that you've ever had, and you found the through line through all of them, and then turned them into asanas, right? Like you know, yoga, you have downward dog, and you have these different postures that have like this they're physical stances, but they're also these psycho-emotional meaning coordinations, right? Um, circling is basically kind of taking relationship and breaking it down into asanas and then practicing those asanas of like communication, speech, right? Way of being, listening, and all the just like as you go deep into a downward dog, you kind of go deep into circling as you go deep into a certain kind of listening or a certain way of sharing or communicating or a way of being aware. And so the practice of circling are, is getting together and basically assuming those postures and then just going deep, as deep as possible into those postures, just like you would do in a yoga class. And I think that ultimately, just like most people do yoga, not in order to get good at yoga, but what, but what getting good at yoga affords, right? Mm. And I think what people want, and I think this is what circling does, is, is that such that when you're not thinking about, like, like for example, if you, if you stay with the, with the yoga metaphor, like when you're not doing downward dog, right? And you're in your office, without even thinking about it, your relationship to gravity, right, is more aligned, let's say, or you're walking along and your posture is just better. I would say circling is like that with relationship. So it's like your level of when you're not thinking about it and you're talking to your mother, you're able to see, respond, listen to, 
so much more than you could otherwise without having to think about it through circling. And I think, and I say, I say that part because I, I think there's a, there's, because I have so many pet peeves about circling and people do circling. <laughs> you know, it's like anything you do for years, you develop pet peeves. Right. Well, like one of my, one of the pet peeves I have is I think that oftentimes people make the mistake of thinking that circling is the way to then go out and relate. Yeah. Which, which just actually like, it just freaks people out. Right. right. Because it looks so weird without a deep understanding or a context of what's happening. Like you don't go out and do downward dog at, at the office. People would think you're kind of crazy. So it's like, you do these deep dives, right, in these postures, not so that you do those postures in your life. It's so that the, net, the, the way that you relate in a pre-reflective way can start to be more open and more relational in that sense. Yeah, I, I like that a lot because whenever I tried describing this to other people, I would put more emphasis on the conversation side of it. So I'd describe it as a conversational modality. So... I would say something like, you know, it's the yoga of deep conversations, but you put the emphasis on relating and on relationship. Um, and I also really like this idea that, yeah, it, I mean, this isn't the best analogy, but it's like a martial artist training, you know, different postures so that they are now equipped to deploy them in a fight. But the fight is very different from the martial art or the training of the martial art. Yeah. Well said. Yeah, well said. So I, I've heard this story about how you discovered circling in Burning Man in the 90s and there's a group of you and you took acid or something. And I, I don't know how much of this is apocryphal, but can you tell that story? Yeah, yeah. So ba basically, I, I, moved to, I moved to the Bay Area, uh, I think it was 1992 or 93, um, to go to art school. And I graduated from there, I think, in 99. Um, but my second year there, I'm, I met Jerry Candelaria, who had introduced me to, he'd just, he just gotten his, his then wife, his new, then newly wife pregnant, who, that he wasn't planning on. And he was busy being kind of a hippie, leading kind of yoga courses and courses like more university um, kind of hippie courses, if you will, and wasn't making any money. And he took this, this, this str really strange course that was about manhood. Hmm. And somebody, a, a friend of mine had taken, taken it and rolled me into doing that. And that was the first course like that I'd ever taken. And that's when I met Jerry through that. And something about me, Jerry saw and he's like, look, I got to introduce you to my friends. And so out of that, like he, I kind of went to his camp in Burning Man, met all of his friends, right? And then we went for a walk um, out in the playa. And if you've gone to Burning Man, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you haven't gone to Burning Man, it's really hard to picture what I'm talking about. But basically you go out and walk in the playa and you just end up places. <laughs> and we ended up, well, as we were walking along, so, like um, uh, a conflict kind of emerged. 
and a, an unspoken tension was kind of just being felt, I felt throughout, like within the group. And we somehow just ended up in this spiral shaped teepee art thing in the middle of the playa, right? Like, I don't even think we could see the lights anymore. We had walked so far out and it, there it was. And we ended up sitting in a circle and I and Jerry kind of just naturally teamed up and got interested in the conflict. Mm. And I would say not in not that long of a time, the, it, the conversation left the level of the conflict and it turned to one of the people in it. And everyone started to relate to that particular person in such a way that whatever it was that was underneath and underneath that and underneath that, at some point, the kind of the, the, the in, inexhaustibleness of that, the source of that person kind of came through every pore of his being in the witness of everybody else. And everyone else was drawn to speak that back to that person. It was a spontaneous thing that Jerry and I just started to naturally facilitate without even thinking about it. And then it just went to the next person. And it went to the next person and the next person. And at some point, I want to say like 12 hours later, like time just disappeared. Right. And Jerry and I were walking away from that. And he pointed back to where we were. And he was like, hey, that. And I was, I was like, yeah, that. We didn't have we didn't have a word, but we it was it somehow it was clear what exactly we were pointing to in that moment to be able to point to it, and we just turned to each other and just shook hands on it and committed to it. It was just spontaneously did it, mm. and I, in some level, I think I think circling has been the process of discovering what what we were pointing back at, but all of it is it was very much an emergent property, if you will right that we then developed and out of that handshake came courses and communities and this was in the late 90s and it was it was right at the tail end of like rave culture and mm-hmm. dance music and all kinds of like try i remember that at, at that time this the the term um urban tribal communities were was a big term and like two or three of those developed out of that. It's even connected, it's even loosely connected to the John Hopkins psilocybin mm. um, uh, experiments, those first ones. They were all part of this group of people and what formed around it and all, all of that kind of stuff. All, all was in that orbit, if you will. And were you on psychedelics when that happened in the teepee on the plane? Yeah, actually, that was my that was my first LSD trip. Okay. Yeah, it was my I, first LSD trip. I'm very curious about this because I've had this experience with mushrooms and LSD, and actually, most recently, I I did a ketamine trip, and I noticed that all of like they all have different flavors, but they all have this common characteristic where I become less invested in my social persona and this this body mind that is daniel just becomes this almost endearing kind of video game character that i am responsible for but i'm less attached to his strengths and his weaknesses and the way he's perceived and then i start to wonder where where is my sense of identity if it's not that anymore and then you kind of like take steps back and this happens with meditation as well 
And then there's like a deeper source that you start to identify with. And when I was in my experiences with circling, it was, it was as if you could induce that, um, in a sober state of mind, just by really clearly witnessing one another and then signaling that you are witnessing one another, which created this kind of, uh, the spiral, this like upward spiral of like mutual awareness. And then like, it's almost as if the persona starts to disappear and then whatever that source is starts to speak. And the word that I've used for it in the past was it was psychedelic without psychedelics. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That, that, uh, yeah, that, that's, that, that interesting thing on psychedelics where you, yeah, where, where it, yeah, you, you're, you start to catch sight of this character that you normally are that somehow gets in front of you that I like the way that you put it, you kind of, you're responsible for it in some way, but it's so strange. It's like such a strange thing because whatever it is that you are in that moment, that isn't the character, right? It's so much more real. It feels mm. right. Than this, than this thing. Right. But I also think, and this is what's interesting about this. And this became, this actually was part, this was very much for Jerry and I, part of the development of circling because him and I would go off and do psychedelics and stay up all night and talk and relate. Like we always thought we were supposed to put headbands on and stuff like that, but we never would because we just end up in conversation. And if mm. you stay in conversation there, it's really interesting because it it was oftentimes that thing where whoever you are to me starts to sh like peel back and is like this character and I can see straight into into the source of you from the source of me and that there's something about that that wants to then put it bring it to words mm -hmm. like it's just something inexhaustible that kind of draws you into it that you want to bring into words, right? That kind of ecstatic celebratory sense of it. And there's also something about it that gives you, I think it gave, so I haven't done, I haven't really done psychedelics in many, many years, but like it's, um, I feel like it's, it taught me, it revealed a lot to me. Uh, that there's some, yeah, there's something about also that gives access to so much more of like what's going on with you, right? So I just remember, you know, working through things and be encountering like shadow parts of myself and like getting in contact with like levels of grief that I didn't know I had, right? And, and at other people being able to point to those things and I'm like opener than I normally am to be able to kind of like look at it. It's going on these rides that's, you know, one level were kind of chaotic, but they had an intrinsic ordering principle through, through that you can kind of let go into that, that felt kind of transcendent but imminent into what was happening. Yeah. And I, and, and, and in that sense, I would say that there was a movement for Jerry and I in those early days, which is like, no, this has got to be available. There's something about the psychedelic experience that to, to reduce it to the chemical mm -hmm. seemed tragic to us. 
Like it's like there's no way, no, there's no way that you got to be able to somehow be able to contact this, right? When you're sober, when you have your, all your wits about you, and in, in that kind of intuition, I, I would say was definitely part of the formation of circling and the articulation of circling and the doing of circling, right? And in some sense, we would go kind of back and forth, you know, between these kind of really ecstatic, deep trips together. And then we we go and do courses, right? And then we go, we you know, I, I would say, I don't know how often we did it. It wasn't like every weekend or anything like that. It was like three to six months or, you know, a few times a year, but they were so prominent and impactful. Um, Terrence McKenna would say, culture is not your friend. And I think I've only recently started to understand how profound that is. Like my interpretation is that culture is this ordering structure that we sometimes need to rely on in order to function and interact with one another, but it's always going to be lagging in terms of its approximation of reality itself. It's like, it's not reality itself. It's like the concepts um, and symbols that we construct in between us and reality. And psychedelics, it's almost like they downregulate culture or they make you realize the extent to which all of these things are contingent. That's the thing that you thought was true, like your identity, um, the economy, uh, the yeah. sense that the, of, of uh, your even your country, like these concepts, you start to realize that they're just concepts. And then yeah. from that place, you can actually innovate. And I think with circling, it's almost like you can locally enter this space that is less tainted by culture. Yeah. Um, and then maybe you make a microculture there that engenders intimacy or something. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's, there's something about, you know, one of the things you'll notice in certain, in, in circling is this emphasis on speaking your experience. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think in some level, you know, in this way that this thing, this kind of like similar to a psychedelic state that we're talking about, I think that when you bring that attention to experience is really key. So like when you start to like use language for so for like what in the circle institute, what we teach is, is the basic, the basic structure of communication is like kind of breaking it down into like saying what you notice, what you imagine, what you feel and what you desire. Mm. Right. And, and the key here, I think, for people is listening is like, usually in communication, what we can, we collapse or confuse what we notice with what we imagine all the time, right? Um, and so there's something about this difference between, oh, I noticed you looked down and took a deep breath when I said X, Y, and Z, and I imagined, right, you were judging me let's say. Mm-hmm. Normally we say you were judging. Like when you kind of separate those two things, it just makes something available, right? And I think what it makes available is this, this kind of attentional turn, right? Towards the direction, like this side of experience. And when you turn this side of experience and you kind of start to dwell there, that's where the trippy stuff is. Because right. you kind of get this emerging quality, right? And if you do it in relationship and other people are doing that too, that's where you start to get this 
attuned to these deeper emergent properties, right? There's more of the sense of the emergent truth or something. And when you say this side of experience, you're pointing behind your face. Yeah. 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 As opposed to in front. Yes. yes. It reminds me of a, an experience I had when I was circling. It was the first time I met this person, I think, where we were doing a, a warm up exercise where we'd pair up in, in twos and somebody would say something and the next person would say, hearing that I notice, and then you'd say what you notice and you just go back and forth for like five minutes. It was like a drill. And, um, I don't know what it was exactly, but something that this person said just randomly reminded me of my grandmother who had passed away many years ago, who was a really beautiful woman. And it was like the first experience of death that I had when I was a kid. And I didn't really know how to understand it or process it. I actually, I woke up one morning and, um, she was in the room next to me and I, I saw that she had passed away and something about this, this girl that I was talking to, something about her facial expression reminded me of my grandma. And I noticed that. And because I was in the structure of, of this drill, I shared that, which I would never would have done otherwise. Um, I probably wouldn't even have noticed it initially because you're not paying attention to that kind of stuff that's happening behind your face, but I noticed it and I shared it. And it's obviously a very intimate thing to share, but because we were in this container and I felt safe enough to share it, it engendered like a really profound intimate experience between me and this person that I just met. Yes. Yes. And that, what you just described is, I would say it's even a deeper cut of what I was just saying before, mm. right? Which is, I think it's the, it's, it's, it's so funny how, you know, intimacy is so much closer than we can ever imagine. Right. Um, because most human conversations are like when you and I, it's like, it's, there's me and then there's you. And then we talk about something. It's, tri it's like triangular in that sense. Yeah. What is it? It's kind of mediating about, but what you just described is this place where when you, when you share the impact of what someone says, or you share what you notice in relationship to what you just said, in that moment, I'm not, I'm not really talking about something, right? I'm addressing the actual moment of relation that's happening between us. Mm -hmm. And it's funny when you, when you make the about being the thing that's happening, that right there seems to open up this space that's very psychedelic, if you will. Yeah. 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 Have you ever heard the, the term aesthetic distance? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So it, I was just reminded of that because in, in art, um, sometimes if something is too explicit, the aesthetic distance is too close to the observer. So they don't actually experience the thing that the art is pointing at. Um, but if it's too implicit, then you also don't connect with it. And so this is kind of like a, a, a vulgar example, but it's a common one. Um, if there's like a rape scene that's depicted in a movie, if it's depicted too literally, you'll close up because it's too much to watch. And then you don't actually experience the empathy for the character. Yeah. But if, if it's artfully implied, then it can, it can cut underneath you in, in, in a way that is a lot more profound because the aesthetic distance is appropriate. And 
I've noticed that concept pop up in, in all sorts of places. And I, I just thought about it for circling because you were saying these are, these are exercises and this is not how you're going to relate to everybody when you meet them, but it's almost like by doing these exercises, you develop the capacity, the fidelity for a certain kind of artistry that allows you to have the right aesthetic distance when it comes to cultivating intimacy with someone. Because if you go straight to that spot immediately, like you just meet someone, you skip the small talk, and then you're talking about what's alive between you two right now or whatever, people will probably, most people will probably close up. But having this skill set, I think, allows you to build the right aesthetic distance with people. And I I can also imagine this being used uh, kind of psychopathically. And I wonder what you think about that. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. If there's not care that mm. can hold the care of another, because okay, if you think about it, caring about you is essentially care. It, it's like, I, in order to care about you, what does that really mean? You, it means, it means on some level, I behold that you are a being that cares, right? Therefore I'm going to be in deep consideration of that care that I can only know because I care right? In some sense, right? If man, if, if you're cut off from that, or like, you're a sociopath or something like that. I think you can take this, you can use this stuff, like you can use anything and use it to manipulate. And I would say that the really, really shallow side of the whole, I don't even know if, the, if it's a subculture anymore, but it used to be a subculture called the pickup world. Mm-hmm probably like probably like attempts to attempt to use these things in order to kind of pick up women and in, in which can be really 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 manipulative in that sense yeah it's like um instrumentalizing intimacy yeah. or yeah. yeah how would you define intimacy it's a good question well i like so i like I want to go back to the thing that you said about aesthetic distance because I think mm. this is part of it, right? You're right. There is, it's, it's kind of like it's distant, right? Such, it's a distance that also draws you in, right? Yeah. And it's distance, right, is the thing that affords the draw in some sense, right? Um, and that is that tension is you're right it's it's like it, there's just the right distance and the right thing going on there right such that if that is harmonized and kept in sense and if that proper distance is kept right that drawing in is going to get more and more intense mm-hmm. right and so there's something about there's something inherent about you and me like there's a kind of, there's a sense, I'll see if I can kind of put it into words. Um, it's like, and I think this has to do with the fundamental intimacy that's realized. Because I think that intimacy on one level is, you can talk about it like it's created. You and I come together and we do some things and we become intimate. And you can talk about it like that, but it, that's not the experience of it. The experience of it is like, oh, there you are. Mm-hmm. Like there's always that sense of like, oh, it's like almost remembering something. There's a like, uh, it's it's like, oh yeah, I've never, I've like, I've 
forgotten about you my whole life, but you were so right there the whole time or something. That's the experience of it, right? Which I think is really interesting. So, but I think that there's, what that realizes on some level is that there's something, there's something ultimately other about you. In other words, I think what that is, is that, that, that I can never ever reduce you down to something ultimate, like something that I can get hold of and have, yes. right? I can't, like we could sit in front of each other for a thousand years, right? And you can share everything on your, on your mind and I'll never get to the bottom of you in some sense. Yeah. And, and in that sense, you're like an ultimate, you're like, an, like the ultimate other. You're, there's an inexhaustibility, right, to you. But there's also an inexhaustibility to me. And, and it's that paradox of like our ultimate otherness is the very thing that we share. And so you kind of get this sense of there's that distance and that nearness. Like your inexhaustibility, right, in some sense is, is in some sense what draws me into, into you, right? Yet, yet that very inexhaustibility right, is the thing that's being drawn in and realized in the becoming. So it's like there's some, there's some sense of the very thing that distances us both is the very ground of ourselves. And there's something about intimacy that somehow realizes that, at least in human form. Yeah. I really like that idea that, or the recognition that intimacy is, is experienced like a realization. Like, um, and it makes me think that if I, if, if I have like, if I cross like a threshold of intimacy with someone that I recently met, you know, at like hour two of the interaction, it's almost as if the last two hours now get recast in like a new light. Um, and it's not that anything changed. It's just my realization of like what was happening changes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the, the, also, you know, there's also this kind of part of intimacy that that we talk a lot about in when I when I in our training we have a, something called the art of circling, which is where we train facilitators to learn how to lead circling, and we talk a lot about this relationship between anxiety and intimacy, mm. right? And that. And that, like in family systems, the way that they would put it is, is that intimacy is the is a function of your ability to tolerate anxiety, mm. right? And it's you, you kind of get this. There's this kind of in betweenness, right? That you can start to appreciate about that because what they, I think, the, in their terminology. It's what makes, why that's anxiety provoking, why intimacy is anxiety provoking is precisely because in relationships, right, you hit these points where, like, where my two fundamental drives, existential drives of being a human being is my desire to merge with everything, everything good, and my desire to be autonomous, mm -hmm. right? That's, if there's, like you kind of like reduce it down to two fundamental drives. That's us. And at some point you hit these, these layers in relationships where all of a sudden, if I'm really myself, uh, looks like I may lose you. But if I, 
So I don't want to lose you. So I don't want to say that thing. Right. Right. But then I lose myself. So if I lose myself, then I can't really be in a relationship with you because there's no me to do that. So um, I'll say that thing. But wait a minute, if I say that thing, I may lose you and I don't want to do that. Right. And you get these, you can feel that tension start to, to build up. And that manifests wordlessly, I think, is excitation or anxiety. Mm. So what they would say is, like, if you can't tolerate that experience, you can't really be intimate because you won't say that thing, right? But there's something about when you, when you cross that threshold and you say that thing, that it's so funny because all of your fears about that it's like there's something about crossing that threshold you 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 open up a new dimension because whatever you were afraid of doesn't apply right right maybe 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 it opens up something that like you should you'd be more terrified of right yeah <laughs> but yeah. like there's something transformative about intimacy and identity deconstructing in a certain sense, right? That can come along and be intimate. And I think that's why intimacy and human development are like this. Right, right. Right. Yeah, my mind is going all over the place. Um, I In my uh, conversation with John, John Verveke, we were talking about truth and how nowadays people tend to think of it as the semantic correctness of propositions but if you look at the etymology of the word true, it goes back to being true to someone or being betrothed to someone, which is a lot more about having an intimate relationship, a transformative relationship with them. And so the truth is really more about uh, being intimate with reality or, or loving reality. And this idea of love and wisdom, you start to see they're like kind of the same in a way. And what you said made me think of that because what what you're describing is an inherently transformative experience. It means that if I'm intimate with someone, I can't do that and not risk being transformed in some sense. You know, maybe it's a small sense, maybe it's a profound sense, but that transformation brings anxiety and excitement and, and all this other stuff along yeah. for the ride. Totally, totally. And you can kind of get how people... Like you can get how relationships can get stuck, right? Because if you, if on some level, right? And I'm not saying that relationships have to be in the space all the time, right? Yeah. Like I don't think that would be good. There's, but there's levels to it and layers to it, I think. If, that, if you can't really go there or if one of the people can't really go there, in some sense that, that, um, that relationship's going to start to be enclosing but yet more garner more attachment to it. But the more attachment garners its enclosure. But I think that what we're talking about is like to be open to transformation, right? Is kind of in some sense is what the relationship requires for it to be an opening experience, right? Where the drawing in is is calls forth the opening and that's in that sense of truth that you're talking about. And that dedication to something that's beyond that, that I can only know through be, being transformed by it. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's the key. What, what if someone's like listening to this and they're wondering, okay, like how do I taste this? You know, how do I apply a little bit of this yoga of intimacy of 
conversational intimacy or whatever we called it um, today? Like how, how can someone taste it? Yeah. Well, here's a couple of things. If you have two people who are open to it, right? Like I would, I would say something very different than if you just don't have anybody else that you, that would be open to it, but you still yeah. want to do it. Two totally different answers. I'll give, I'll give both of them. I'd say like this most simple one is just being with somebody and just saying, being with you right now, I'm noticing. And then you just share whatever it is that you're noticing in the present moment, right? And then the other person says, hearing that. I think you actually, that's mm-hmm. the one that you referenced, hearing that, now I'm noticing. And then you share that. And then you just keep going back and forth. And what you're gonna, what you'll find is that there's this kind. Of, usually, what people experience is there's a, a reciprocal opening, mm-hmm. and a kind of strange falling in love with each other, right? And a, a, like a a leading into anxiety and an opening beyond anxiety, right? Right, right. In that sense, I would say like that's that's one that's one thing that you can do if you have somebody that you can kind of con- like you both want to do something strange yeah um, <laughs> i would say i would say and this is my experience of like just being in the world of it's funny there's a couple there's a few things one is it's there's there are simple ways to bring in the present moment with people that get right to the edge of normativity, but mm. don't go over it, mm. right? And my, my, the mo- I would say the most natural one, right? Because this is the thing, it's like we, it, if you think about it, just like we are so civilized, it's, yes. it's incredible, right? Yeah. Like we are, yeah. we are, we don't even understand how deeply civilized we are. If you want to know, if you want to just test that, go and try to like just lay on the floor at Starbucks. Right. Right. Watch what your mind does. <laughs> yeah. Watch what everyone is like horrified, right? In some sense. So there's, so, so you want to be, you want to be present to that's what it's like for people, right? So if you go outside of the norm, right, and you don't have, rapport with them right or they don't have good reason for you to go outside of the norm it's just going to be really strange for them mm-hmm. and awkward for them. so it's kind of like doing things that go right up to that verge of awkwardness right yet yet invite them to open into it with you and i've just noticed that like that appreciating people is are these moments of like where if any at any point like if you're like with your mom you just kind of turn your gaze towards your mom or your dad or whoever and just kind of go right now there's a way that they are and there's stuff that they're doing and noticing that only they do right and they do it and it's part of their nature or something like that and if you could just kind of like in some sense just notice that like go I notice every time, right, X, Y, and Z happens, your attention always goes here. What is, what, what is that? Like just getting in, like one, getting interested mm. in where their attention goes, getting interested in, into the kind of the patterns of their nature and just like little things of where you notice it and then ask them about it, right? Or, or just moments of just appreciating things that they do seem to be in a, like an opening 
where it invites those little moments of, of somebody being seen, heard, and recognized deeper, a little deeper than they're, than they're usually recognized. But it's also true that it invites them to draw, draw them, them, them out. And I would say that's, those are the ways that I like to really play with that. Yeah. Yeah, it uh, reminds me of Carl Rogers and active listening and how really the basis of therapy is just creating a space where someone can be seen and simply indicating that you're noticing them by, by repeating your understanding of their world back to them is, is healing on its own. And, uh, what do you you think about this thing? That thing about being seen, that's mm -hmm. another thing about circling that I, I have heard over and over and over again from people is they talk about this profound experience of being seen Mm -hmm. and what like what do you think that is what is it about being seen right it seems to be inherent like one it seems like there's so many people that are and most people are kind of i would say seen deprived yes right yes like in some, in some deep sense and they such that when they get seen there's this kind of like oh my god it's as if they've been kind of mildly dehydrated forever mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what do you think what is that thing that's so important about being seen? What do you think that is? Yeah, I th- well, part of it is I think people don't experience that enough, but that doesn't really say why it's so important. But like the default is people don't feel seen. Yeah. Um, the thing that comes to mind is this idea that, I don't know, maybe this is kind of like a Zen Buddhist idea, but that all suffering can be reduced to a feeling of disconnection. It's like if we're just feeling disconnected in like a deep sense, like an existential sense, then that's where suffering is found. But as soon as you feel like you're participating with everything, then mm-hmm. suffering is not found. And I think on a less like metaphysical level that happens socially all the time. Like I'm just thinking about a party where there's somebody who's a little bit socially awkward, but they're there for a reason. They're there because they want to meet people. And then somebody draws them in or says they notice something about them. Um, it's very, I don't know. It's a, it gives them significance. Yeah. Significance. It's like meaning. This, there's meaning in this um, musical way, a musical sense of like being impacted by something meaningful. But yeah, like you're, it's something that is probably something to be like, if I can notice you, it means that my attention finds, has a moment where you're the most important thing in the world at that moment. Yes. Right. Yes. Kind of like, I guess there's that sense of like, if there's a bunch of people looking up and you see them looking up, you can't not look up because yeah. it's always there. We just know implicitly eyes is eyes are, constantly on the most important thing in that moment right in that sense so it's like there's something of something deeply deep about that sense of being the metaphor of being seen you know like literally being seen and that it bestows it bestows a moment in which you are actually the most significant thing in the universe that second yeah it it also um is probably necessary for um a sense of self 
Like, mm. I, I don't know. There's um, there's a, there's a term I think in like Ubuntu African philosophy where I don't know what the term was exactly, but basically, like children that are pre-verbal, they don't give them names or they don't they don't have an identity until they're able to participate um, socially. I, I, I'm I'm messing up the details a little bit, but the the insight there is that I'm not me. Like I don't exist in a social vacuum. Like Daniel, in isolation of being witnessed by others, is not. It's not a meaningful construct, and so perhaps um, I. I also. Um, I also exist, or I become, in the process of being seen by others. Yeah. Yeah. This is. This is really really important too. You can also kind of get us get like where this gets really disturbed the narcissism, mm-hmm. right? Because I've I've often wondered about what is the difference between being deeply seen and being narcissistically reflected, right? Right, like that's a, that's always been a worry for me in circling, right? In some sense, I've always had this intuition that there's a difference, but like, in what way are they different? And I, the thing I've been able to kind of reckon with that is that being in some sense, narcissistically reified, that there's a, there's a sense with the narcissist, I guess, or, the, or, or, or all of us in our narcissistic moments where we're, there, I already know the thing I'm after, mm. right? There's a kind of quality of, I'm looking for the reflection that I already behold or feel is missing in me, and I'm trying to draw it out of you through the supply of being seen, mm-hmm. right? Because I need that. Being seen seems to be something really different, like in, because it's usually this experience of like somehow the being seen has a quality of seeing more than I understand about myself. Yes. Right. It's kind of like you see things that in some sense are so close to me that I can't even know to put them into words like you just did. And in that moment, I find myself deeply dignified right in this way that i couldn't have put words up on my own so i think in that sense it's like more as something to do with that yeah this reminds me of a personal experience that happened recently so it was my birthday and i asked my friends for one gift which was make a google doc of all my blind spots so they all met up together um, went to a bar and debated my character flaws for a couple hours over some drinks and then put it together in a blind spot and then, or in a blind spot document. And then they, uh, they delivered it to me. Um, so like four of my friends just kind of reading these bullet points one by one and telling me their experience of me in ways in which I've been a less than ideal friend or less than, um, fully aware. Yeah. Whoa. Um, I call call it the self-induced intervention and it it was a very profound experience and all my friends agreed that they want to do it for their birthdays. So it it was a sort of positive. Um, But what was really interesting is, um, again, it kind of put me in that mild psychedelic state where I I had to, you know, I got defensive, right? But then my, my ego eventually had to kind of like loosen because I knew these people love me and I asked them to do this. And they started pointing out things that 
I kind of knew, but like, I didn't really know from their perspective. And I think like the word for this is like, like aporia, right? Like you're, you're, you're wondrously kind of contending with the unknown. It's like, oh, I actually don't know myself that well. And when yeah. you drop into that state, that's the opposite of narcissism. Yeah. Um, even though the attention is all on you. And um, for me, it engendered a, a transformation. It was like a very efficient way to, to grow. Like what you were just doing it with your hands was very indicative to me of like, you were, for those people who are listening, he was, as he was talking about that and describing that, he was holding his, his hands up with his palm facing him. And then he turned like the, the, the or no, palm, palm facing away from it and then it turned towards him. This, right. this kind of distance, closeness, nearness, connection. I think your hands exemplified in that moment. That is very, it's funny. It's fair. It seems very connected to this theme that you, you, you brought out and I appreciated it is this kind of aesthetic distance, right? And that this is, this very distance is what draws forth, draws you in, right? And affords that drawing and that it's kind of paradoxical in that sense. And all these things that we're doing seem to kind of be highlighting to me this kind of through line coming through all of this, like it's almost like the eidos is kind of coming through this conversation. It's something about this turning mm. and this nearness and distance that seems to be so present in this conversation and everything that we're talking about. Yeah, you, you used the word uh, afford earlier, which mm. I really liked, um, like an affordance. Uh, yeah. Something about the space, the setting, the arrangement that in affords or allows for yeah. something to emerge. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I want to, I want to mention something I I've noticed about you throughout this interaction, um, which I, I think I just, the words for it really clicked. Um, more than most people I know, you have a very palpable sense of curiosity that I can see in your body language and on your, on your face. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I realized that that, um, being able to notice that as opposed to just thinking, oh, this person's curious, being able to actually see it in the way that you're, um, you're mm -hmm. showing up in this grainy footage, uh, mm -hmm. makes me want to, uh, share more, you know, or, or, uh, be, be more open. And so I, I really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Thank you. By the way, that was exactly a demonstration. I know that you intended you didn't intend a demonstration here, but like that, you just demonstrated the thing that I was trying when you asked me how do people bring this to their to their mm -hmm. actual life and make it tangible. You just demonstrated that. Right. right. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Totally. I really appreciate that. Is my experience of of I. I what wonder I think is mm. in some sense, I feel that circling at the bottom of it, right, really is about the fundamental disposition of wonder, wonderment, mm. right? Like, I think that's kind of like where you like wonder and horror is like that's what you get to, at the bottom of psychedelics. I think it's like for me, meditation is really about like 
about kind of sitting in that disposition of wonderment for the most ordinary thing, kind of, kind of the sense of it. So I, and it's something that, um, it's something that's been with me for as long as I can remember. Mm. Like a, a sense, like a perceptual, it actually that, that thing that you notice, a perceptual sense of the world, like in ambiguities about the world, um, and somehow like the way I perceive the world kind of has it show up in a particular way. All those things since I was a little kid is, is just fascinated me. And in some sense, I had a grandfather who was a wondrous man, mm-hmm. um, who I think, I think really saw that in me, related with that in me, implicitly made, made room for it in me. Right, and it's really kind of interesting because it was, I come from an, an environment that both, I mean, both my parents are like amazing people, right? But they've also, they've, they've, they struggle with, with addiction, all of us have, right? And so like all of the tragedy that can come out of that, right? There's like lots of that in my background as well. But my grandfather was this kind of place, my grandparents, I would say, this place with that, like, it was kind of like I would go over to my grandpa's house and whatever I was in wonder about was the only thing that was going on. Mm. He would just create space around. It didn't matter if I got glue on the floor or (laughs) whatever happened. He would delight in that. And I think what you see is that proactive animation in me that shows that. I have a feeling what you're seeing there is the gaze of my grandfather. Mm. Wow. Yeah. I'm which I just, as I get older, I realize that more and more and more, which is interesting yeah. about him. Yeah. It's, um, it's very impactful when somebody encourages your curiosity and gives you a space to feel safe with just blindly pursuing it. I'm, I'm curious if um, you've noticed any trends throughout your life for something that you're that you've been seeking um, or something that you've been in wonder about or like a direction to it that's like stayed with you from when you were a kid? You know, it's, it's interesting. I So one of, one of the earliest memories I had, I have is, or I would say earliest blocks of time right, that I remember as a kind of cohesive time. I think I was probably four or five or something like that. And I just started to notice that occasionally I I could, I could fall into a level of uh, like a way of perceiving the world that I could tell was like my parents or like my teachers or like all the adults. And I don't know how I could tell that, but I could just tell it. And then I would like, when I would notice, I'd fall out of it and I would be back in my world. <laughs> I think like when I think, well, what, what was your world? What were you receiving? I think as a kid, the world, everything was a who. Like everything was a who. Like the wall was a who, the trees were who's. Like the, every tree was a particular like shape and a hand or something like that. Like that was my world. And something like 
for slipping into the adult world was something like being able to perceive, remember kind of the sense of looking at a hallway and it just shifting and it would just look like just a tube <laughs> versus mm. a opening of some kind, right? And I would play with that. And I remember playing these games with myself where I'd be like, I could start to coax my way into that shift in that perception. And at first I wouldn't know how I did it. And then I'd fall out of it and I couldn't get back, but then I'd be able to kind of like move my body in a particular way. And then I could kind of, kind of get it and then learn how to hold on to it and see how long I could stay in one and not the other. And that was this whole period of time for probably like a year. I would play that game. I'd go to my grandparents' house and I would just play that game with myself the whole, the whole day. And, and, and a big, this game a big is, part you're, you're getting your, your, uh, looking at the world from the perspective, like a personified perspective of people, but also inanimate objects, right? Like what is, what is it like to be a tree? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I would say more like, more like my perspective as a kid and the adult perspective, mm-hmm. like, like I would, I could feel the world as an adult would feel it. And then I, then I would lose it and I would fall back into my world. And I, I, that, I noted that difference. I see. And I yeah. just was fascinated with that difference and how I could go from one to the other. And I would play this game with myself. And I remember trying to tell my dad or something about it or my, like trying to put that into words. My dad was kind of like, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, he didn't get it. <laughs> right, you, you gotta get it. But um, I would say... That is an example. I was like all kinds of things from, I was really like a little kid that, that these shifts in perspectives that can disclose or unconceal a world that was present the whole time, mm. but was concealed. That phenomena, go, like that, I, I, I've, I've come to actually like, I, this is where I, I think why I connect with Heidegger so deeply right is because he was really talking about the original notion of truth of a called aletheia which is where the word truth comes from and aletheia lathea means the river the mythic river of or lake of forgetfulness Mm. so aletheia is in a certain sense is the event of unconcealment and so there's two parts to that, right, for me. And I think if you, to kind of get deeper about like, what is the thing that I'm most wondrous about or the themes that I've been most wondrous about? I think there's two parts of, there's two parts of that phenomena that I think fascinate me. Like one is just the thing that's revealed, right? right. First of all, just the thing that comes to light that wasn't there and like, there you are and like, it was fucking there. <laughs> it was there the whole time and I didn't even see it. And somehow I shifted my perspective and there it was. So there's that part of it. But I think the deeper part for me that's even more wondrous is it's like concealment because part of what's revealed, right? In the unconcealment is concealment is revealed, right? right? Concealment as such, right? is revealed in those moments. 
And I think as I've gotten older, I think the thing that I've let my attention has been on is like, what the hell is that thing? Like, what is that concealment? Mm. That thing that withdraws, right? That affords everything to come forward, but it always withdraws, right? And, and I think here we are again with that, that thing about the distance and then the drawing in. There's this something, there's something so fascinating to me or wondrous about this sense of concealment to answer your question yeah it sounds like a very very <laughs> enchanted way to look at the world yeah um, i i think there's like a a quote by tolkien for like his writing style and i i can't remember it exactly but he said something about how every time he'd reveal a secret to the reader like the secret about middle earth he he'd create another one so it would the book would continually draw you in because um you want to find out like wait what is that other thing and so the whole process is this process of enchantment totally and to me that's the same process of getting to know a human being yeah that's the same process and i think that's the that's the process that i think circling Hones in on is that very sensibility of that drawing in and this the secret that's created that somehow discloses the thing that you're seeing right here and then draws it from behind. And like I think that's the that's the very thing that a person is. Right. Right. So uh we're we're coming up on our time, but I want to ask you a kind of spicy question. Um, about circling. Are you familiar with Curtis Yarvin? Yes. Did you uh, ever read the article last year he wrote? It was called Circling in Nerd Society. Are you familiar with that one? Yeah. 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 I read, I read, I read the first part of it and some of the comments out of it, out of it. Yeah. I just want to, um, I think he, he was a little bit, uh, uncharitable but he did bring up some interesting points in his critique of circling and just for context um the article is about how by the way he doesn't remember that we met at a conference no way an amazing connection wow yeah he doesn't he doesn't remember that he actually (laughs) likes me (laughs) right right (laughs) i thought that was hilarious (laughs) that is pretty funny yeah yeah it's funny in the article he described you as uh, as sultry, which I I thought was hilarious. Sultry. Yeah, and the, the way you were speaking in, in one of these videos, um, but yeah, he I think he's also being a bit provocative in the article. But he said um, he described circling as like a platonic orgy, and in the sense that an orgy, um, like an actual orgy, it kind of uh, it replaces the the sacredness of sexual intimacy with kind of carnal pleasures and a platonic orgy kind of does the same as well where you develop these platonic forms of intimacy but in a way that um is akin to a porn star having sex um and there's a quote where he said it is not that porn stars and prostitutes feel nothing when they have professional sex they feel the physical sensations of sex but the spiritual sensation has been burned out of them I feel when I look at these advanced circling practitioners that they are like emotional porn stars, not hotter than hell, but colder than the North Pole. 
So I have my own opinions on this, but I'm curious uh, what your response to that is. Oh, I think that's great. Well, I got to say, I have a lot of, I would say, concerns about mm. circling in the way that it's it's spread. I, I have a lot of concerns about that. And I think I remember reading the article and being more like, oh, he's like, I think he's in in some sense is uncharitable, but in, the, in some sense he's pointing out like some of my pet peeves about things. Yeah, you said in the but beginning. I think, like, I think that's a real, I think that can be a real danger if I think this is what, what I was kind of trying to get at in the beginning of the conversation of that. that in, in some sense, if you go to a gym, right? Like, or you do a practice that if you start to fall in and make that, think that that's the thing, right? Then that kind of misses the point for me. But that's always a danger with people. Mm. Um, that's one of the things about I think in the early days, I mean, there's a lot of good that came out of this, right? And there's a lot of good that came out of this. And also I think there is, but there's some naivety as well about, about the, the sense of community, right? That would develop um, as, as not being linked to the rest of your life. Because there is a thing where, like, you can actually experience intimacy with a stranger, right? And if you think that that's what it's about, right, I think you're going to be, it's going to end up being hollow, like what he's talking about. Right. It's going to be a hollow form. And I think that's a real danger for people, right, to get involved with in, in, that, in, in that sense. And I think that's one of the fears I have about, well, I think it's a, it's like about, it's about, you know, fears and circling, but it's also just the concern in any of these kinds of personal growth culture things where you get these real shadow formations of community, right? Um, and so I have like really come to emphasize for me anyways, is like the practice component of this, right? Of that this is like really like, we're just practicing, we're isolating, we're isolating muscles, right? that we can then use, that we can be more in shape for our actual lives when we're not thinking about doing, you know, like muscle presses or whatever, we're working on our bicep. So that's, it's like, it's like, I think he's got, I think there's a danger in making circling and the experience of circling, just like with like experience of peak experiences and idol. There's an idolatry that I think he's talking about there. Yeah, and I think the antidote is something you said earlier, is uh, ensuring that there's always this premise of care. And if, you, if you're coming from that place, then it's probably, uh, you're less likely to abuse this practice. Yes. Or, yeah. Yes, yes, totally. And I would say too, Yeah, that thing about, it's like, I think in idolatry is always the danger. Mm. Like, it's always the danger, right? And this is for me where circling, 
in some at the deepest level needs to be a spiritual practice. Yeah. Right. It's the deepest level. I think it is. And I think it needs to be a spiritual practice. Right. And that, and that there is a sense of an inexhaustible horizon, right. That we can never reach. Right. But in, in if, if something, if something gets in front of that horizon, it becomes an object. You just end up, you just end up like you end up anytime that happens. Right. You end up in delusion. And you know, it's like Plato said is I think, in reading the Phaedrus, I think it's the Phaedrus where he's talking about like love is to love the whole. Mm. If you're not loving the whole of something, right? It's not love, it's something else. And the whole is something that you can never possess. You can possess parts, but you can't possess wholes. That's a wonderful place to end. Guy, where, uh, where can people find out more about your stuff and what you're up to? So I have a YouTube channel. If you like a lot of, if you like this wild conversation that we just had, right? And that, I have a lot of these kinds of conversations on my YouTube channel. Just look up uh, Guy Sengstock, or I think I call it Circling into Dialogos. Hmm. Um, and if you're interested in checking out Circling, go to circlinginstitute.com. Cool. Guy, thank you so much for this conversation today. I really enjoyed it. So good meeting you, my friend. <laughs>